Oh boy, that song was meaningful for endless days. We'll sing his praise. I can't sing that song without thinking of uh, those that I have loved that are now doing that face-to-face with God, my mom and dad, and my dear friend um, Ted Boyles, who was killed by a drunk driver a few years ago, and uh, my niece, who died over Christmas break, and my dear friend Bruce, who uh, died a couple years ago of cancer. And, you know, and so someday you and I will be in the presence of God, and uh, that'll be pretty incredible. Um, but today we're at Hume Lake Retreat. And uh, let me just say something about um, when you go back home. I Believe me, I've been to a lot of retreats, and... Um, I've gone home from a lot of retreats, and uh, I always feel really tired and depleted the day, at, the day after, the week after, and it takes me a while to get my bearings back spiritually after investing so deeply for this many days. Now, you may be different than me, but if you come home tonight you know, and you don't feel overly spiritual, or tomorrow you don't particularly want to read your Bible, or the next day, uh, that is so normal, and you're okay. And, uh, you know, God will help you to recover, and you'll be up to speed pretty quick. But this, this kind of retreat really takes a lot out of you. And, uh, you know, you're, you're not sleeping as good as you'd like. You get behind your studies. Uh, you've got a lot of spiritual input to your life, and it can be kind of OD to you. I was uh, looking at Max's uh, handout a while ago, and I was thinking, okay, which one of these do I would, would be most difficult for me? Probably right now is my cleaning my trunk. My golf clubs are in my trunk. I have multiple empty water bottles. I have golf tees strewn about. Uh, Sandy has her... Uh, grocery bags in there, a couple of Snickers wrappers, and uh, Max would be appalled at my trunk. So I, you know, I've got to go home and work on that. So I did pick up the handout, uh, Max did. And then I have a handout for you. Um, uh, a few years ago, I put this together and I've been adding to it. In fact, I just added one last week, uh, the very last one, Martin Luther by Eric Metaxas. That is a great read if you want to uh, understand the Reformation um, and Mer- Martin Luther's role, who was uh, really very possibly would rank in the top 10 events influencing all of history. And, and I'm talking about all of history, whether it's 1588, whether it's 1776, um, obviously the the death and resurrection of Jesus would be number one. But this, uh, Martin Luther's life would easily rank in the top ten, maybe the top five. And uh, it's a great read by Metaxas. He also uh, wrote uh, The Life of William Wilberforce, who was uh, the, uh, the leading force in, in uh, pushing the anti-slavery movement in England, which... Um, America held on to, as you know, for another 60, 70 years. Wilberforce was a deep man of God and very 
politically minded as well. And Metaxas also wrote uh, The Life of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, really, I would say, if you looked at believers in the last hundred years, uh, Bonhoeffer's life and writings uh, would easily be in the top five, easily, maybe the top two or so. And uh, he, he was a theologian, but he was a very grassroots, he believed in community, and he stood up to, to a church who had, that had copped out to Hitler, and uh, uh, Metaxas does a great job with Bonhoeffer's life. And uh, I've read it through twice. Um, probably my favorite uh, is The Life of Hudson Taylor because I began to read that in college and I've read, I think I have 15 different volumes on The Life of Hudson Taylor and I've read them multiple times. One set, uh, you can't even get any more unless you go to uh, rare bookstores, a seven-volume set that came out on the, the history of the China Inland Mission. And, uh, you know, I would say if I listed the top three mentors in my life, Hudson Taylor would be one of the top three. And, and he died in 1904. So, But, uh, you know, sometimes people can mentor your life and not even be living if you read about them, reflect about their walk with God. And so I, I really commend to you reading biographies. Uh, I know your generation doesn't read much. You know, you're the electronic generation, and I know all that. But, but it, it would so bless your life to read at least two or three good biographies a year. You could, you could do that on the... On the on the rebound, you know, on the slop time, you could you could read two or three biographies, and uh, and I would encourage you to do that. Um, the third one down, uh, the life of Lilius Trotter. A lot of people have not even heard of her. She went to Algeria as a young single woman. She remained single all her life, and she stepped to a male-dominated. Uh, Muslim world, and she sought to bring Christ into Algeria. And the, the name of the book is A Passion for the Impossible. Can you think of a better uh, title for a book than that? A Passion for the Impossible. And Lilius Trotter moved in. She was an artist, and she, she um, met God to a large degree through creativity. And she was one of the top artists. She was studying under uh, Ruskin, who was the leading art teacher in Europe in the uh, late 1800s. And Ruskin had asked her to come join him to, to be a protege so she would take that role. And she said, no, God has called me to the unreached. And so she walked away from an incredible amount of money. She's uh, from Britain. And... and and art, fame, and went to a hole in the ground at the time, Algeria. And so it's an amazing story. You know, you'll miss so much if you don't read. Uh, I guess what they've done for me, they've stirred courage, they've stirred faith. And by the way, every one of these people, every one of them, the common ground is that we're men and women of prayer. And 
And they have, they do different things. They, God used them differently, but they all believed God and they prayed. So uh, I, I just would encourage you to, to do some reading. And uh, I think God will really bless you for that. Okay. I'm ready to start the message here, believe it or not. You're wondering, when's he going to get going here? The bus is waiting, but I'm ready to go. Uh, <laughs> the talk uh, this morning is on having an eternal impact, and, and, and I'm at give, at giving attention to making um, disciples. I, when I came to college, it was 1965, I, I didn't know God very well. I didn't have any friends that were walking with God. I uh, didn't have any vision, purpose in life, and I certainly didn't have any Christian character. Well, when I graduated from college, all of those things were moving forward. I had settled in my heart who God was going to be to me. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. I, I was looking to him. I, I was growing a group of friends around me. And by the way, these friends are getting together, are getting together the first week in May at Virgil Coffee's place, Neil. And uh, we get together and have incredible amount of fun. We eat a lot of pizza. We eat a lot of Brahms ice cream. And but each one of us will take about an hour and a half and talk about our life. You know what we were, I was talking about last night? That's what we do. Each of us takes about an hour and a half, and we go through and, and talk about how God is breaking our heart and bringing humility to our heart. And by the way, lest you think that um, that talk like night, last night was kind of mushy sentimentality, which some people might think, it is hardcore. The stakes are incredibly high for you to begin to move with God into understanding your past, into, into asking forgiveness for those that you need to ask forgiveness to, to share your hurts and wounds. The stakes are so high because if you don't get in touch with some of these things, um, it's unlikely that you can sustain the things God is doing in your life now. Just doing the mechanics of, of the Christian ministry will not sustain you through, through the hard things of life. And, and, and I'm looking back over 50 years on that. So it's so important that you get a handle on some of the things we talked about last night. And uh, some of you I know still have maybe people you need to talk to, you need to share, you know, this is is what's happened to me in my past, and I just want you to walk through that with me and pray with me about it. And it may be incredibly hard, but that's what you need to do. Because a part of your ministry is going to be to help people down the road talk through their needs, and you need to lead out on that. So that, um, that, that's what God did in college to me. But one thing, when Max came, he began to spend personal time with me and a few other guys. And it was... It was pretty uh, non-structured. I mean, we might read the Bible, we might pray some, but uh, one night he invited a friend of his who he knew in college or seminary, 
His name was Jack Holt. And Jack was a campus minister in Indiana somewhere. And so Max said, Jack, take these guys downstairs in, in a room down there and just give them an hour of your time. And so we walked downstairs, me and Brett and Larry Woods and a couple other guys. And so we all had our Bibles. So Jack Holt opens his Bible and with no fanfare. And he says, I want us to read a couple, three verses together and then visit about them. So this is what we covered. And it's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey is maybe even a better word, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jack read that. We followed along. And he had a long pause. And he said, I want to make a couple of comments about this passage. And I think I'd read it before. And, and Max had maybe, maybe mentioned it. But, but he had a, Jack Holt had a captive audience with me and a few others. And so here's what he said. Jesus, number one, says, all authority has been given unto me. Unto me. He was getting ready to go be with the Father. He had been crucified and raised. And this was his last shot with the disciples. All authority. So because this is true, here's what I want you to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so these are just 11 guys and they're sitting on a hill. And so Jack says, so how does that apply to you? And that is an incredibly great question, by the way. Uh, this, this event happened 2,000 years ago, somewhere outside of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee. And so how would that event Jesus with his 11 that were left, why would it apply to us sitting here, March the, uh, is this the 16th, 2018? And, and that, that's a question that really needs to be answered because the implications of the answer are huge. And so Jack said, let's look at the passage. So Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So what did the disciples do? They said, okay. And so you read through Acts that that's what they did. They went out and taught people the commands of Jesus. And by the way, they didn't forget the last one, teaching them to observe all that Jesus had done. So, so this began to start off in the first century. Uh, people would go and tell people about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, what he had commanded. 
And they didn't forget one thing, teach them to observe all that he had commanded. Oh, so that means that it kept going. And so it went around in the second century and the third century and went through the dark ages and where the light of Christ was really low. But somewhere, some people around there were making disciples and they did not forget one important thing to teach them to observe all that Jesus had commanded. And that the last thing he said was go and make disciples. So this kept going through and then it arrives at March 2018. And so you all have been learning the commands of Christ, the way of Christ from Aaron and Neil and Jeremy and Anya and Max Barnett and others in your life, teaching what Jesus had to say and to obey what he had to say. And one thing he had to say was go and make disciples. And so what Jesus said applied to the disciples in the first century, but it also applies to me because I'm to teach everyone I make to go and make disciples. And one of those points is what Jesus said, go and make disciples. And so it applies to you and to me. Now, for me as a college student, I was 19 years old. So this was like a, um, a moment for me. And, and a transaction was made at that time. That, uh, yeah, that would have been the spring semester of probably 1968. And... I didn't know what I was going to do in life. I wanted to fly jets and I wanted, or I wanted to teach. I loved teaching. I loved coaching. I was in athletics. And uh, so that wasn't settled yet. I had no interest at the time of going into ministry. That was, that was as far as from me as, you know, South Africa is. Uh, I had no interest in it. But, but I did come to grips with this idea of making disciples. And, and as a college student, I had a transaction with God that come whatever happened, wherever I went, whatever I did, if I married or didn't marry, that I would give my life to helping people grow spiritually. And I remember going home to my, my, my dorm room and settling that with God. And, um, you know, it was tested. It was really tested. Uh, the next year, I had been on a track scholarship that was paying my way through school, and, and God was leading me to give that up so I could spend more time with Max and the ministry there and learn what it meant to make disciples. And I was walking away from a scholarship that my mom and dad couldn't cover. They didn't have the money. And I remember that night when I told the coach I, I, I was going to quit that afternoon, a friend of mine, Brett Yon, calls me and he says, uh, hey, I want to take you out for lunch tomorrow. Can, can we go to McDonald's together? And so I said, sure. I had just walked away from an athletic training table that with, the food was incredible. And Brett said he would treat me to McDonald's. And that 
let's see, it was 20 cents for a burger, 20 cents for fries, and 20 cents for a shake. So Brett invested 60 cents in my life, and that was one of the best investments anyone has ever made because I knew right then that God would provide for me. And uh, a lot of times you don't get words from God at McDonald's. I did. And it cost 60 cents of Brett's money. And uh, sure enough, throughout college, uh, I didn't have to borrow any money. God provided through work and through different things. And um, so, but that was tested. Do I, did I want to walk away from track to get more time to really getting help that I desperately needed. And I made that decision. Now, I'm not suggesting that God would want you to walk away from your scholarships. I mean, my kids had scholarships to help go through college, and hopefully you do too. So, but that this is my story, okay? And so it was tested again when I was in Vietnam. I was over there for months and months. I had no believers around me, no church. I didn't, there was nothing like that. I worked 12 hours a day, every day. Uh, actually, I worked every night, 7 to 7. Um, I was incredibly lonely. Life was going on in the States. My friends were going to seminary. They were in missions. They were doing these vision trips and retreats like this. And I was so alone in Vietnam doing my job. And uh, back then, of course, there was no email uh, and, and, I, and in some ways, I was kind of forgotten, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I don't know if some of you have left high school and you had friends and you'd hope to stay close and it just doesn't happen. Well, when I was in Vietnam, that kind of happened to me. Sandy wrote me every day, but my other friends didn't write hardly at all. And I was so alone. I remember sitting in a Jeep and I, I was actually tears were coming down my face my face and I thought, God, is it really true that you are worth living for and making disciples is really true in what you want me to do? And so I have this give and take with God sitting in this Jeep at 3 a.m. in the morning. And, and I finally settled it that, yes, I want to make disciples. I want to give my life to helping others be followers of Christ, whatever that meant. And uh, so I've had some real tests in that area. Uh, when we got back, I got back from Vietnam, Max had made a trip to Kansas State and the door opened for Sandy and I to come to go to K-State. But my first experience in making disciple, I remember getting down on my knees because all these guys were having all these great ministry experiences and nothing was happening for me. So I got down, I said, God, would you send someone my way that would be hungry to grow? And I, this, is, this sounds a little unbelievable, but I have about two stories in my life that are a little unbelievable, and this is one of them. One is the 60 cents McDonald's story and this story. Um, I got a knock on the door, and it was a guy named Eddie Vinson, and he was a freshman, and he came in. He said, Bob, I'm new coming to the ministry, and I wondered if you had helped me grow spiritually. And so that was my first attempt. And so Eddie and I began to pray together and talk about God. And I didn't know what I was doing, but he began to grow. And then Phil Pack and Joe Crockran came in. And, and that was just 
I knew very little about it. You know, Max was spending time with us, but we came to K-State and uh, I didn't know anything else to do other than the first day I was there, I made a walk across campus and I prayed that God would give us six people that were serious about him. So at the end, at the end of the year, we had six. One of those guys was named John Sapp. And in fact, his son, Nate, I know was in Germany last year. And so John was kind of a long-haired hippie. He had, he had been an alcoholic and he had just become a believer. And he was kind of a, you know, a, a counterculture type guy back in the, in the early 70s. And there were a lot of, of them around. And, and, but he wanted to grow. So I began to spend time with John. And we began to read the Bible. And those six, we began to, we brought Drew into a Bible study and Sandy met with the girls. I met with the guys and, and taught them how to lead Bible studies. Uh, the following year, God led around a guy named Dave Terry. Um, he ended up being the head of the counterterrorism department for the CIA. And he presented the top secret brief to the president, the secretary of state. And he said, I asked him, so why did you stay with the CIA? He said, I wanted maybe that somehow God would have more of an opening into the lives of people that never, ever think about God. And that's why he stayed with it. And he was, ended up being one of the top two or three guys in the CIA when he retired. And, and we've, you know, that God could use a little simple person like me to help others to grow, and, and he can use you. And uh, I, I guess I got, my, got hooked into a verse uh, in 2 Timothy that you've probably heard, 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul writes to Timothy, his last letter, he says to Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trusts to faithful men, faithful women, who will be able to teach others also. And so that's what I've tried to do. And, you know, the things that, what is that? A phone? Um, Hark the Herald Angel Sings. And, uh, you know, the things that Neil and Aaron and those that have, invested in your life, the same to commit to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. And that's, that's just a very simple way how it works. And this verse should really light your fire because uh, that's what Paul said to Timothy. And, and so everyone who have been, has been taught the ways of God uh, should invest and other faithful people. And, and really the only requirements that I see is that they have a faithful heart and they, they really want to do it and, and they're able to do it and they're willing to learn the ways of God. And I didn't think John Sapp would make it. I, I thought he was too weird and he, uh, I thought he's not the prototype of the kind of person that I would want to spend time with, which is obviously a reflection on my pride. Uh, but I stayed with him 
He ended up being in Africa, over 500 missionaries. He was the head of uh, the mission department in Africa. He ended up being my boss in Kansas, Nebraska. And he so champions campus ministry. Um, his son is, I think, as good as they come in campus ministry. His daughter and her husband are missionaries in, in Central Asia. And, but, you know, I, I chose to spend time with John. And, uh, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not that talented. I mean, you know, I, if I was in here listening to Max, I would struggle with identity issues because he is so articulate in what he does. And he, he is so visionary. And, I, you know, I would be back there. I'd be sitting up there up high and I would be thinking, oh, brother, you know, I'm next after that. that that's kind of my, my psyche. I struggle with that all the time. But that, that God could have used me, and, and I know that the ministry at, there at Kansas State is going crazy, and people are coming to Christ all the time, and leaders are being raised up, and, and that I've had a part of that, and that you can have a part of it, each, each one of you can look back five years from now and 10 years from now and 50 years from now if you're still here and see people all over the world that are loving God is really true. You, you, it just takes simple faith to do it. But I can tell you that the devil will try to steal it every way he can uh, through busyness, through uh, fear, fear of failure, through um, getting caught up in, in things that will siphon off your time. Um, there will be so many things that'll, that the devil will try to distract you. And Neil and I were talking about this earlier. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of college students that really catch on to being a disciple, but 10 and 20 and 30 years down the road, not that many are doing it because the cost is so great to continue to move with God and to love God and to stay focused on what's really important, investing in the lives of people. And, and I've come to believe, though, that it's really true what, um, what Paul wrote and what John wrote. Uh, this, this is as true as it comes. It's uh, 1 Thessalonians 3.8. In 3 John 4, Paul wrote, And now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And you want to know what really living is. If all the things that would really bring life to the Apostle Paul, living was seeing those people continue to grow. And John said, I have no greater joy than here that my children or walking in the truth. He could, have, he could have drawn in a lot of things that would bring joy. And you can be a spiritual parent, a spiritual mom, a spiritual dad. And it's not that hard to do. <laughs> it's really quite simple. Uh, but it takes commitment. And, you know, I can teach you how to, how to, 
how to fly and land a plane in seven hours solo. Uh, I did it. And uh, we, you know, you can learn to do most anything. And learning to make disciples is not that complicated. It's, uh, but the, the, the cost is high and the distractions are incredible. The devil will throw everything at you to keep you from doing it. And you'll be, you'll be involved in church and you'll be involved in community and you'll be doing this and they're all really good things but you won't be investing to help people love God and to follow him because that's where the devil will try to, what he'll try to steal from you. Um, let me close with this passage that I think um, really reflects the heart of Paul as much as any in and loving people and, and loving believers. And, and to me, this is really the heart of, of making disciples. It's not like a business. It's really your heart. And uh, so I'm going to read this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. I love this. Because I have you. I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus, of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge in all discernment. You know, I go back to this little phrase in uh, verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. And that's really what loving people, investing in them is about. And, and this will sustain you uh, when you're 30 and 40 and 50 and you have all the push and shove of life. If you so look to Jesus and you so hold people in your heart and you can't think of anything greater then they, they would take a, the next step toward Christ and his mission. And, and you just can't imagine doing anything greater than that. So that's my final message to you. I, I've so been blessed to be with you and, and shared a little of my story with you. And uh, I uh, love Melinda and 
and Neil and Aaron are so dear to me and have been for many years, and it's a joy to be with them. So let me pray and close. Father, thanks again for this time together, and it's such a joy to be together and to share life together, and most of all, to share you together. And uh, we pray that the things that uh, each one has heard these days, that you would seal in their hearts and that you would recall the things that you want to in the days and weeks and even years ago. And I pray that the gang here would look back on this time with incredible gratitude many years down the road because of what you've done in their hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.